Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. Every Tuesday, Martha and I join us for Together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Why do we do Together on Tuesdays? Why, why is this the focus of marriage and relationships? And I'll tell you why. Here's my little Jim jaunt for the day. You hear all the time, and I, and I learned this week while reading a book, this is the lie that's been told everybody, and I'm sick and stinking tired of it. We're told all the time that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Well, here's the big fat lie about that. It ain't true. What is true is that in any given year, about 2 million marriages happen legally in the United States. And in any given year, about a million marriages end in divorce. But guess what? It's not half of the people that got married this year. It's a million people of the 100 million that got married maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago. The number for Christ-following believers is less than 20%. And so I'm sick and tired. Let me get on my big fat soapbox and tell you I'm sick and tired of the lie. Marriage is awesome. Marriage transforms society. Those people out there trying to destroy marriage, you know what? I rebuke you in the name of Jesus because I'm sick and tired of people saying marriage is a waste of time. I'm tired of people saying that marriage is outdated, outmoded. Really? I'm telling you, only in the last 50 years of all of the years of civilization, whether that's six years, 6,000 years, 10,000 years, I don't know what it is, 
But I can tell you this, marriage has only been outmoded because for some reason people want to be able to do exactly what they want to do and not feel guilty about it. But marriage has been awesome. Martha and I have been married, we celebrate 30 years in five months, and it is amazing. And so those of you that are out there are discouraged because your marriage may have ended up in divorce, or those of you out there listening that are still single, or those of you out there that are maybe you got single again for the second time, Let me just tell you, there is hope, but marriage takes work. And that's why we talk about it every Tuesday, because there is a plague out there of people getting divorced. But there's also the enemy lying all day long saying, hey, divorce, marriage, there's not even, there's no point in it. There is a point in it. And we're here to help you fight for your marriage, because if your marriage is a mess, it impacts how you work. So let me interpret that for those who maybe aren't following what you're tra- so passionate about. Let me just step about. back off the soapbox for a second. The reason that that upsets you so much is that it's much like getting diagnosed with a disease. And if you're told there's a 50% you know, chance that you're not going to survive the disease, it's very defeating going into it. But if it's only 20%, what more hope you get from that to say, okay, I have an 80% chance of fighting this. And so that's the lie that so many new marriages or young people or people that have fallen in love and are contemplating marriage or thinking about is they're going, well, we have a 50% chance that this is going to fail. That is no way to enter marriage. And understanding that only 20%, now it's still sad that 20% are ending in divorce, But 20, 23%, whatever that number is, is so much more hopeful for going into something that you believe could be have a successful life. Well, and I, you know, as I read this article this week, and as I was, and it was an article, it was, I can't remember where I read it now. I wish I'd printed out a copy of it. As I read it, and I'm like, well, here's the statistics for last year. Two million people got married, a million people got divorced. Divorce rate's 50%. Boom! Oh, it just drives me crazy. It's, it's like saying, kind of it's just like them saying, I'm going to jump on a little political soapbox every second. It's just like saying, if we eliminate guns, it'll eliminate murders by guns. That's a lie. It's a lie. The more guns out there in responsible citizens' hands, the less the crime rate. Look at the cities with high conceal and carry, and their crime rate is lower. Look at cities where they ban firearms, a way higher crime rate. We've got to stop. We've got to eliminate the bogus garbage coming from the media and celebrate our Heavenly Father and what He's doing in our lives. Marriage is a good thing. It's endorsed by God. That's what Together on Tuesdays is all about. Whew. All right, you're listening to I Work For Him Together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're here today to talk about secret number two to an awesome marriage. And Martha, I know I just went on that rant about the divorce rate because it just ticks me off that people are lied and lied. And really, the media is so successful at spewing lies because they, if they repeat it enough, people just believe it. Yeah, that's right. And of course, one of our favorite authors, Shanti Feldhahn, she had re- she wrote a book about the good news of marriage, and that's where we learned a lot of the real statistics that are out there. She is a researcher and a statistician, and and she really put it into focus for us that guys, it's not as bad as it's as it's being made out to be. And in fact, that original quote um, for the um, Barnum, you know, the, when they do this. Barnum and Bailey Circus? Yeah. No, circus? not the circus. Oh, Barna. Barna Research. Barna Research, um, where they he, they were misquoted. And somebody took that as truth and it has misquoted it. Because it was a last, convenient truth for them. It sounded, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's bad news. We should share that. Uh, let's focus on being positive All in right. the rest of the show. I, I've got this verse because, and this just hits right back into the divorce thing one last time. 
Jesus said to them from Matthew 8, 19, 8 through 9, because of the hardness, your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. There's just so much to go into that. But I, I, I can tell you, listen, marriage, if you end a marriage and there's some things you could have done to stop not ending the marriage, the collateral damage, it, it's so, it's just devastating. And it devastates not only your children, your grandchildren, your family, your friendships. I mean, it's, there's so much collateral effect. It's just, it's not worth it. Work on it now while it's still okay. In fact, Go on a marriage retreat. Do something. Get away for the weekend. If you need to get away from the weekend and go on a marriage retreat, we still got some spots open on the Cruiser Way to a Better Marriage Retreat. Sponsored by I Work For Him coming up in February. Last minute spots still open. Three of them to go. All right. So, Martha, it's the beginning of the year. We did a lot of New Year's kind of shows. Yes, and, we have. And, and as we head into the second week of the year, full week of the year, have we accomplished everything? We've already gone on a couple of dates. We have. So that's been good, right? Yes, very good. Okay. We haven't made our reservations yet for our cabin vacation or our cruise vacation. No. Well, maybe I have and you don't know. Okay. Okay. All right. We're talking about secret number two from this book, The Seven Secrets to an Awesome Marriage, written by Mr. King, Mr. Kim Kimberling, PhD. Wow. What a last name. Can't believe a parent would do that to somebody. Well, we were having that discussion. It could be a nickname, Kim from Kimberling. We don't know. All right. But so, we're glad he wrote the book. <laughs> when, when we did a couple of weeks ago, it was back in December, we did secret number one stop. Stop the insanities that hold us back. Uh, and it was uh, just eliminating some of the things that just getting them out of the way that, I mean, a lot of times we just believe lies about our spouses, but. Uh, Understand that each other comes from different backgrounds when it comes to uh, how to fight, how to handle money, how to to uh, get along in, in common. We, we talked about a lot of that stuff. You got to go back to that uh, that uh, um, archive to well, listen I think to that one. One of the keys was just stopping the insanity of things that you've been doing if they're not working, and so that leads into today's subject, which is start. So we stop the insanity. And then we're starting the practice of putting God first and spouse second. Right, and this is something revolutionary for some people. Some couples out there who have kids who who are very caught up in their kids' lives, they have things out of whack. Often, this is how the priority schedule works for many Christian families today. Work first, kids second, spouse or God third, and spouse or God fourth. Things are out of whack. Right. I mean, they got kids, they got kids in soccer and volleyball and all this stuff, and they're busy every night, and they work 60, 70 hours a week, and then they, they, they're involved in all these sports. Maybe they're working 50, 60 hours a week, and they're involved in all these sports, and the last thing that gets fed is either their spiritual life or their marital life or both. They both get. They both just get leftovers. Leftovers. That's exactly the word I was thinking. Not that of I don't too. like leftovers, honey. You, you know, you had you made spaghetti over Christmas, and we've had leftovers twice. And by the way, that is off the charts. Yes, Incredible. but I but I make the dinner with intentionally having leftovers. When we talk about leftovers, we're talking about, you know, the remnants. And when you're getting extra spaghetti, that's not remnants. That was on purpose. That's pristineness. (laughs) And that's how the garlic seeps in. But but here's here's the problem with not being intentional in your marriage and putting God first and putting spouse second and then putting kids, if you have them, 
third, and then putting work or ministry fourth or fifth is if you got things out of whack and you don't start your day with the Lord and the Lord's not number one, the things that you do end up being self-centered instead of God-centered. And and do they have the same impact and effect that they should have? Maybe or maybe not. Uh, And you got this funny face like you want to say something. No, I was just thinking about, we were just recently talking about God's will and, and another word for that is God's ambition for our life. And if his desire, his ambition for our life is to um, model what he has has modeled for us and to be a godly example, we really need to take it seriously, how we balance what priority we put things in. And I just was also thinking, I'm just going to go on a little thing here. We've been um, doing a lot of research for the marriage cruise. And I can't tell you how many times in the articles that I've been reading and the videos we've been watching, how many times it says the best thing you can do for your kids, if you're married and have kids, is to show them who really is the priority in your life because you're modeling what you want their marriage to be like someday. And if you want their marriage to be balanced and have their spouse as a priority, then you need to be doing that. And that was just a fabulous um, thing that I just kept hearing, reading over and over again. And so it just really made me realize that it, it, I believe it's true. It's not like one of those statistics that's out there so many times, but it's wrong. I just got this image in my mind that we could have the session and that we're, we got a priority session mm-hmm. that we're doing. I think it's our fourth session on the, on the cruise. So it'll be on Sunday, uh, February 21st. Uh, so in case you want to get on the cruise, you know, when the dates are 18th or 22nd, <laughs> that we just, we give them we, we, in the handout. It just says one page for it. The number one best secret to making your marriage great. Put your wife number one. In the number, what did you say? Number two spot. Number what? No. Okay. Make sure that the kids know that your spouse is more important than them. What? Now I wrote it down. Hey, we'll have to go back and listen to this later. (laughs) Now we can know what I said. It was really, really good. I was really wondering what you were doing because he grabbed his notepad. He starts drawing, and that's always an issue. It's like if Jim starts drawing, I got distracted. I was drawing. I'm thinking the number. Well, okay. I think what you're communicating is the number one best thing you could do for your children is to make sure they understand that they're not the number one priority. Yeah. Because if you if they think that the world revolves around them, when they leave your home, they'll still think the world revolves around them. And as all of you listening. You already know the world doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't. And it shouldn't at home. And we were constantly reminding our kids that priority time for mom and dad, it was very important. I mean, we did we did date nights often while they were even little. And then once they got a little older, we went on a lot more of them. Then we went away on vacation like, how come we're not going to like, because I need alone time with your mother away from you. Did you say it like that? I too? did many times. Well, especially to your daughter. I'm sure I said that to your daughter, oh, our, our daughter. Very important. All right. So putting the practice, uh, the practice of putting God first and your spouse second, that is really, you know, it just, it's a big concept. How do we do that in our own lives? What do you, what, what's your perspective on that? How are we, how do we do, how do, wait a minute, how do you do in putting God first and me second? Um... Wow. The power of the interviewer. The power of the interviewer. You're getting to ask me these questions. You know, well, I mean, I could give the Sunday school answer, but that wouldn't be necessarily (laughs) the right answer. We're not in Sunday school. No, but the honest answer is that it's a struggle. Um, You're loud and you attract attention. (laughs) Jose, don't bloody your head when you're knocking it on the ground. (laughs) 
so you are you so you're saying i'm demanding no i'm not saying that but you know our god isn't that way and so i just have to really i don't know that i'm really good at it but i i know that it's what i'm supposed to do and so I pray about it a well, lot. Well, now that you've made the commitment to get up with me to do your quiet time in the morning, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I try to do my quiet time, my prayer time with the light off while you're getting all ready. And when right. you get done, then I go take my shower so you can have quiet time so we can't interrupt each other. Yes, of course I've noticed that. <laughs> well, I don't know if you noticed because you're noisy in the morning. In the morning, I I'm so quiet. Noisy. I am quiet. In the morning, talk. I'm quiet and, and you're, you want to talk and have, you'd rather have music That's on. because I use a blow dryer that I'm noisy. That is very loud. You don't By use way, a blow dryer. Since I'm not in the bathroom, you can turn music on in the bathroom. Oh, oh, the, oh, oh the music is saving you. <laughs> That's right. We're digging deep today into the secrets of an awesome marriage, the seven secrets of an awesome marriage, and written a book written by Dr. Kim Kimberling. He wrote this book, and we were just kind of going through the chapters whenever we have a Tuesday where we don't have a guest on or another topic where we're talking. We're just kind of fitting this in. And this is a secret that we share often with people the fact that people need to put, learn to put God first and their spouse second. Too often, spouse is in front of God. But too often, more oftener than that, I just said more more oftener, oftener, people put their work first and then they put their kids in front of their spouse. And then, I mean, on and on, just it just doesn't work that way. All right. So we're talking today about the book, Seven Secrets to an Awesome Marriage, written by Dr. Kim Kimberling. And we're on secret number two, the practice of putting God first and spouse second. You know, this is a major paradigm shift for many people. Martha, why do you, well, let's just talk about, well, you, you get, did you have a question you want to ask me? Um, yeah, I think so. I think I was going to ask you how you are able to practice this secret. Well, you, you practically control the air I breathe. So it, it's, it's, no, no, you, you are the one in charge of the thermostat. <laughs> Which, by the way, very hot in the studio today, but it could be because you're here. Uh, Aww. Aww. But here, I think it's the sun. It is, it's constantly a battle because it's from the day I met you in 1982, my life's never been the same. Now, Jesus Christ had a bigger impact on my life than you have, but I can't imagine walking with the Lord without you. But it is, it is difficult Um Sometimes not making you more of a priority than the Lord, because I enjoy when we get up in the morning, holding each other, praying together um, silently. And then but I really enjoy my quiet time. I wish I had more. I wish I could handle getting up at 530 in the morning so I could have more quiet time. But I can't. I just can't do it. But I've been working on it really diligently the last couple of years, making sure that my first time in the morning is with the Lord before we really have a lot of words. Yes. But and that's important because once I get going in the morning, man, I get going. I really do. I just, I, I just am a fast mover. And Martha likes to talk, and I like to just get going. And it, it's, it's a battle because you're awesome, and I love spending time with you. <laughs> Was that your way of <laughs> redeeming this conversation? Why did I say something oh, wrong? No, I thought you were, you were thinking about me being noisy again. No, I I'm just not. want to. Cl- I am not noisy. I don't know why you think I'm noisy. <laughs> <laughs> He's comparing you to the hairdryer. I think so. I think he's No, it's not. It's, you it. just like to wake up and talk and start. You like to put music on. But I don't. Uh, I don't talk don't. and I don't put music no, on. No, but you want to. Oh, and so that, <laughs> so that quantifies. Okay. Anyway, move it on. <laughs> no, and I, I'm not. It's, 
you're pleasant in the morning, and I, I love that. I just don't. I want to make sure before I get distracted with the worries of the day. I like to just be quiet, but yes, it is a, a very good. Practice. It was, and it was a battle when the kids were at home to make sure the kids weren't a priority over us or our relationship with the Lord. That was always a battle. I mean, I think this is something that we struggle with every day. I mean, I don't think it's something we've perfected. Oh, oh by all means, we struggle with it every day. I think that I am sure that God knew that this would be an area that every day would be a struggle for everybody because we live in a not only a fallen world, but a busy world and a loud world. And there's so much coming at us. And um, we're right now reading a book about all the different generations and how people come to this world differently from different angles. And so even the younger kids like it noisier and more things coming at them. So it's going to, it's going to, it gets harder and harder to be quiet and to focus. And it doesn't mean you always have to be quiet to have a relationship with the Lord, but you do need to be able to focus on that just like any other relationship. You don't have to always be quiet, but you do have to have some quiet time. Mm-hmm. The Lord will not scream. No, and by the time he gets to that point or hits you over the head with something, that's not when you want to be paying attention. You know, when I think about Adam and Eve, you know, they struggled with this concept big time. They, you know, they knew the Lord face to face and they struggled with this concept. That to me is staggering. I mean, how can you know the Lord face to face and have walked with him in the afternoon, in the cool of the day, in the garden and go, no, I think I know better. I'm going to do my own thing. And they put themselves in front of God. That's what brought sin into the world. They they said, nope, we know better. And and they just said, no, we're going to turn our backs on the Lord. I think they just didn't have any perspective on that. I don't think if they'd have thought ahead through the consequences of that, that that would have been the necessarily the decision that they would have made. Well, I'm hoping not. But yeah. I mean, when you look at the, I mean, but most of us, when we sin, don't don't we struggle with the consequences? Do we do we struggle with the consequences? Because if you're really struggling with the consequences of your sin, most of the time you wouldn't sin, right? Right. You'd hope. Right. So it's, but I just look back at Adam and Eve, and if if they had just said, no, this isn't about us; it's about Him, because He created us. So without Him, we wouldn't be here. And Adam had it pretty good. They're in the garden naked, running around, and the, they didn't have they didn't have a job. I mean, they had a job. They just had to cultivate. They didn't have to plant, they didn't have to harvest, they didn't have to pull weeds. They said to cultivate the garden, name the animals. It's a pretty easy job. They had one rule, one rule, no speed limits. They didn't have bedtimes. They had one rule, don't eat the, the fruit from that tree, period, end of story. And they, that was tough. Tough, one yeah, rule. They blew it. I broke five rules on my way here. well you know it's funny that you would say that about adam and eve though because when we were when we were sitting here that was exactly the thoughts that were going through my head is is the fact that um when i was saying that we don't always have to be quiet but it's like we because we can't technically be face to face with christ we're we're not seeing his eyes you know like i'm sitting here looking at your eyes having a conversation with you that other people just happen to be listening in on. And, um, you know, it's a whole different um, human discipline because we can't look into God's eyes. But we can. But we can feel his heart. So and that's ways. the amazing part. And, and really, when we look at the secret, number two, putting the practice of putting God first and a spouse second, when you have, you know, on 
The greatest marriage movie ever, Marriage Retreat, yes. where he draws the triangle in their palms and said, that's the secret to marriage, Ooh. the triangle in your palm. Because here's the point to all of this. Marriage takes work. Relationships take work. But when relationships are out of priority, they they get dysfunctional and they get messed up and the rest of your life gets messed up. And so it's... It's one of those things. What we're talking about, secret number two from the book, The Seven Secrets to an Awesome Marriage, written by Dr. Kim Kimberling. This secret is the secret of the practice of putting God first and spouse second. And it has the keyword start, start at the beginning of it. So the first chapter was stop the insanity that holds us back. And now we're supposed to start the practice of putting God first and your spouse second. You know, we talked about how Adam and Eve had an opportunity to put keep God first, and they didn't. So it's been a struggle since the beginning of time. Hey, Jose, just a question for you then. As we talk about the, the practice of putting God first and spouse second, how do you do at home in putting God first and your spouse second and your children third? Do you, is this something you guys struggle with? Yeah, we do. We struggle with it at home because just like what Martha said in the previous uh, segment is that you get busy, you're working. Uh, My wife works for the school system, so she's an AP for Hillsborough County, and she is massively busy. Mm. Uh, You you guys know that I'm here, and often I'm here late. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's really difficult to come home from a long day and then keep those priorities uh, straight. And then we have to basically go through some sort of event where we go, oh, we need to just stop and collect ourselves and have Bible study or have a prayer session where we all... Uh, take turns and saying something to uh, and and actually speaking to God, not necessarily asking for things, but just generally praising him and thanking him for what we have. So what is it that you do in your life to keep God priority number one? Um, What we do, Jim, is we basically we have Bible study nightly at home. We talk about things at the dinner table. That's, you know, you guys mentioned that as well. Mm, Powerful. Yeah. And previous show that you got to eat together. And uh, we talk about things and we just it's a constant um, effort to um, redirect the children. You know, our children are in um, public school. So we are constantly uh, <laughs> fighting the battle of misinformation. Correct. And we're having to redirect and and uh, and, and debrief and, and deprogram them from the worldly things that they're being exposed to. So, yeah, we always we always try to respond to things from a bi- biblical standpoint mm. uh, and try to bolster that. Mm, that's awesome. You know, Martha, us, Martha, most of us try to make <laughs> that was pretty good. Most of us try to make changes. But a lot of times we'll make a change, like a New Year's resolution. We'll make a change, and we um, we have really good intentions for like the first thirty five minutes of the new year, and then we step back and we we messed up. Which is why we decided to do retrospective resolutions this year and say this is what we're going to get done. And so far we've done really good, except for the walking three nights a week. We're gonna have to walk three times tonight. <laughs> three times tonight. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's just walk a marathon. Why Let's not? Let's walk three times tonight. Or we got to walk six miles, one or the other. Okay. But how do we make this change for the long term? Because someday we're going to get more grandchildren. They're going to be closer to us. And someday we're going to have, uh, I don't, I mean, there's always going to be things fighting for that priority level. As right. we grow trust services, as we grow the radio show, there's always going to be competition for priority. How do we... I don't know. How do we make it permanent change? Well, one of the things that the book really hones in on is the fact that 
you know, any of us can really on our own accomplish a short term change, but to have a long term change, a real change of heart, which this whole secret is start the practice of putting God first and your spouse second is to have a change of heart. And that equates with a long-term change. Because if your heart changes and you live following your heart and your desires, then you're going to implement that long-term change because your heart changed. So um, in the book, it talks about that and the fact that in order for us to make it a long-term or a permanent, let's hope, change for us, it needs to be a change of our heart. That we say, God, I really want this. And I desired, I see the need for it. And so help me to get there. Well, you know, you did that kind of thing to us last year where you just said, you know what? We've been praying together every night for since we started dating. Mm-hmm. And then you said sometime last year, and I don't remember the date. You should, because it was your idea. But let's just start praying in the morning too. And really, we haven't missed a morning since then. Maybe we have, but not very often. I think- there's but, been but like maybe two Saturdays where we got late in the day and we're like, oh, we never prayed because we're just out of routine. But, but, but how anyway. did we make, I mean, that was truly revolutionary in our marriage because I just love it. It just, before we get going with the day, we just stop and we pray. And I think the prayer time gets better. We actually both prayed last night. We both prayed this morning. How do, how did that comp, I mean, did the Lord lay that on your heart or is that just an idea you had because you read a book somewhere? Um, I actually remember... Um, observing my oldest sister and her husband praying in the morning. And so I think somewhere along the way, I just, I remembered that and thought, oh, that would, that's a really good thing. We should do that too. Because it just made a whole different impact because you were starting your work day for us that, you know, is you're kind of in a launch mode for the day and what better way to do it than together in prayer. Does that answer you, your question? It does. I think one of the things that a lot of times what helps us reset and make sure that our priorities are in check is vacation time. And it doesn't have to be, listen, understand, Martha and I are not extravagant vacation people. You know, most of the time we can go away for a week on a thousand bucks. You know, that's pretty cheap, maybe 1200 bucks, pretty cheap. Most of you can't do that for a week. And that could sometimes even be a cruise or whatever, if you're willing to do a last minute cruise. But what, what going on vacations does for us is it gives us that reset. We're like, ooh, not the first couple of days. First couple of days, we're winding down. But after that, we're like, yeah, things have kind of gotten out of whack. And so it's almost like that quarterly review that you're supposed to get at work every 90 days where you're looking at how's things going. And it helps us to go, hmm, yeah, things are out of whack. And we missed that the last two quarters. We really haven't had a lot of vacation time, but we're going to this year. But just that getting away from routine helps you to understand mm, some things just aren't as important. Yes, it, it, it does. And I, you know, I remember even very early on in our marriage um, going somewhere, like say we went somewhere for Christmas with family or whatever and coming home. And looking at your home through fresh eyes. And I always loved that because it was like, you know, if I wanted to rearrange some furniture or if I hadn't noticed that this area had gotten messy or whatever, you just have fresh eyes. And that's 
really important. And I think it's the same thing in our spiritual life too, to be able to step back and say, what am I, what am I doing? What am I missing? What am I um, needing to shore up? And so the, the book actually had three points where it talks about how to let God change our heart. And the first thing is admitting that we've been selfish and have put our wants and desires before um, God's. And that is key because you need to humble yourself and say, you know what? I've let my own selfish flesh desires, um, my desire to make my bed in the morning has been more important than reading my Bible. Whatever it may be, those things can creep in very subtly or or drastically. You don't know. But that um, so the book mentions this in about the seven like secrets when we want to binge on something on Netflix, putting our desires in front of God's. Because he um, probably yes. doesn't want us to spend, you know, two hours watching TV. <laughs> right. But we have an occasion done that. Yes, we have. Yes. And I don't think there's any problem with leisure, relaxation, but it's all about priorities. And if if God has something else in mind or you have neglected your relationship with him in lieu of that TV time, then it's definitely out of whack. So that's the first one. So step one, simply admitting that we've been selfish and put our wants and desires above those things of God, stopping the insanity. Step two is making the commitment to put God first in everything and seeking his help in doing this. You know, in our business, his way group, which is our round Christian business roundtable discussion group that I work for him sponsors every month in Largo. And we're willing to start one anywhere in, in Tampa Bay. If you want to get a group of four or five business people together, uh, we keep it very, very reasonable. But in our business, his way group in November and December, we studied the book in his steps written by Charles Sheldon in 1896. Charles Sheldon loved that book. Tons and t- 30 some million copies of the book have been printed out. Amazing. But in his steps, that's where the WWJD movement came from. What mm-hmm. would Jesus do? In 1896, people, you thought it was a big craze in the 90s, 100 years before that. But having that bracelet on and stopping every time you get a decision to make and saying, hmm, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. That is that stopping. Making the commitment to put God first and seeking his help is just asking that question. What would Jesus do? And so often we feel so self-sufficient and we'll do whatever we want to do. Because like, I got this. I can figure it out. I've made that one before. I can do it again. Right. And, you know, that that just makes me think that's why I think that bracelet went through such a big um, longevity with people is because we need reminders. We are those kind of people that we constantly need to be reminded. What is it? you know, that I want to ask myself before I make this decision. And it's what it would Jesus do. Remember our son used to, he wore through like six or seven of them. He never took them off until they would break. And then we had to get another one. This is going to freak what? you out. This is going to freak you out. Okay. You know, you know, I refuse to wear bracelets. You know, I, I have one for you. No, 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 no. I'm not oh. wearing a bracelet because I don't <laughs> okay. want a tan line. And just, I don't want to wear pink and yellow and red, but I got this idea. Okay. What is it? I think I should get a tattoo. Oh. I have never ever in my life said, <laughs> I think I should get a tattoo. I think I should get a tattoo with that on my wrist. That is interesting. I am dead serious. I hope our kids are listening. Uh, what? We didn't tell them. Our daughter's no, got a tattoo. I we know, didn't tell no, her no. she didn't get a tattoo. I just, one of our foster daughters has got one. I want them to hear it. They I will. Think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, of all the things you don't want them to hear, they'll hear that. No, my mom will be calling him right after the show, I'm sure. 
I think that'd be great because I think that's a, a reminder I, I should have. But Jim does like to put the, he does get reminders on his hands. In fact, right now he's got a reminder he wrote with pen on his hand because we need to remember to pick up something on the way home. And what he's I like, do I'm is I write it on there. I so put it in the one spot that doesn't get washed well. In between your thumb and your index finger, right there where the the skin is soft. Where you normally <laughs> make a fake smiley face on your hand, but but yeah. I, I but that making the commitment to put God first. And and asking his help and everything, the WWJD, what would Jesus do? Yep. That's a that's a huge thing in keeping God a priority and keeping yourself in you know, and, and that's just another transparent, honest thing. You know, I was reading something in the Psalms this morning and it was in Psalm eleven or twelve, sorry. And and the and, and I was reading about the attributes of God this week too as well. And how, you know, we should have a healthy fear of God. And I don't know that I have enough of a healthy fear of God here on earth. I know when I'm in his presence, I will, but I'm not sure that I am in awe of him as often as I should be for how incredibly and awesome and almighty and omniscient that he is. In awe or in fear? Well, but the healthy fear, not a fear of like, I've done something wrong because I've done plenty of things wrong, but I've got Christ's mercy and grace that he's done on the cross for me. But I just mean... Do I realize how unbelievable it is that I have a relationship with my heavenly father and that he has shown such incredible grace to me without me out, you know, because he could just take me out just with his fingers like, you know, but he wouldn't do that. I just I want I want to live in that awe and fear of him in, in a healthy way. We're talking about seven secrets to an awesome marriage written by Dr. Kim Kimberling. We're talking about secret number two, the practice of putting God first and spouse second. We had three practical ways to get this done. If you missed the last segment, you missed a lot. You're going to have to listen to the archive. Go out to iWorkForHim.com. Click on the Radio Archives tab. Is that what it is on the new website? Um, I haven't mem- listen, memorized it yet. It's called Listen, and then there's a drop-down f- for live podcasts and archives. All right, so step one in the practice of putting God first and spouse second Simply admitting that we have a, that we've been selfish and have put our wants and desires above those of God. Step two: making the commitment to put God first in everything and seeking His help in doing this. Step three: keeping God first every day for the rest of our lives. But how do we do that? That's just so. That that's just so. Um, I don't know. It's trite. Like, of course, we need to put God first. Well, remember, the key here is that these are ways to let God change our heart. This okay. is the, so the purpose is in order to have long term change, we need to allow God to change our heart. And if it's our heart's desire, then it's going to be more natural. Well, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Well, but here, here's what here's what we've learned, too, is that. You and me, we experience God differently. And even as husbands and wives, I always think that's that's interesting. But that's something I've really learned is that as many people as there are that have ever lived and that are living right now, seven and a half billion people, we experience God differently because we're all different. And so this, these steps in learning to put God first, they're going to be different for each person. They're going to look a little different. They have a little different shade of color to them. Yeah, and there, it said it says in the book... There's not a right way to pray, but God longs to spend time with us. He is more about us coming to him than about the way we do it. That's, so yes. we need to remember no, how that. we pray, just that we need to pray. All right, we've come to the end of another super duper. I work for him together on Tuesdays with Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you really were challenged about putting God first. 
and above your spouse. Thanks so much to Jose Cruz. He did an awesome job today taking all your calls and giving us some great input in the conversation. Hey, thanks to our show sponsors. Will you go out to iWorkForHim.com? All the way down to the bottom of the first page are all the people sponsoring the show and participating and helping keeping on there. Please, if you need one of their services, would you please do business with them? There's a lot of ministries involved there as well. When you get home tonight, though, more than anything, go out to iWorkForHim.com. And click on the I Work For Him Nation tab and join the nation of people praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. You know, we learned today that our faith will impact everything we do if we just learn to put God first and our spouses second our children third, and our work fourth. So many of us struggle with that desire to overachieve at work, and we put work in in a weird priority spot in our lives. And in order for us to make the impact on our workplaces that we need to make, we have to have God first. It can't be a a selfish ambition. It's got to be a godly, holy ambition. Because we need to understand there's an epic battle for the souls of our coworkers and employees In the workplace, there's an epic battle, and we need to be purposeful in how we prepare ourselves for this battle, and we can't do it unless the Lord is the number one priority in our lives. And we've given you the steps. Take the challenge today. Put God first, spouse second, children third, and your work second, third, first, fourth, fifth. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower, and I own my own business, but ultimately, I I work work for him. him.